And today's guest is Josh Gondelman, who is just a fantastic human being all around. He is a writer and a producer on Desus and Miro. He is a comedian. He's appeared on Conan and James Corden and Seth Meyers. He has a great podcast called Make My Day and a fantastic book called Nice Try and just so many wonderful things that he's worked on and is working on. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Josh. Hi, Julia. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, thanks for doing this. You're you're the busiest man about town. Well, I don't know about <laughs> yeah, town. Yeah, not about, about town. About the con- about about the virtual town. About yeah, but the virtual town is pretty good. I feel very <laughs> busy about my own apartment. <laughs> oh man, it is what a time to be alive. Truly, I'm. I like have never in my life been more like grateful to be alive and annoyed by everything about life <laughs> it is you know not to get too current eventy because mm-hmm. you know podcasts come out at different times mm-hmm. but uh i don't know if you've had this feeling and this is going to sound really morbid but i don't mean it in a morbid way but i've never felt less uh let's see like i don't belong on this planet sure <laughs> It's it's been a weird one. Yeah, I feel like I'm just like every day, like, I feel like the internet has gotten more like, sloggy and grueling. And like the news is very bad. And so I do feel like every day I become aware of like a million people that I don't know how to relate to at all. That we're not supposed to no, I mean, like, and again, I just want to clarify me saying I don't belong that this sounds like I'm about to kill myself. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I just mean like, I'm like, wow, like, who does this? Yeah, like my the people I've chosen to have in my life. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> But a lot of the people out of that circle, yeah, wowie wow, uh, except for my listeners, obviously they're perfect. Yes, <laughs> um, I love when you said uh, th- you're like podcasts come on at different times, and I just thought it would be so funny if you banked this to like March 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept delaying the release. I-, I was supposed to start this podcast at the beginning of 2020. Wow, and it just. Every week, something new would happen where I was like, no one cares. Sure. And then, and then, of course, 2021 comes around, you know, fresh start. Mm-hmm. It was going to be the year that I cut back on my screen time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. It's... Ay, ay, ay. I was going to almost do a whole podcast about the internet, but then I was like, oh, I can't. Oh, that seems like it would be so um, intense. And like you were saying, like, I think in 2020, there was, when I say like the internet became difficult, I think like throughout like May, June, July, the kind of like peak era of like a, the peak period last year of like awareness of Black Lives Matter activism, I think that was like so important and so like, I felt really like it, it was really intense and and like foregrounded. And I think that was like a necessary development. But I just mean the things that I think are bad about it are that like, you know, when I say like the internet is, is less fun or whatever, I don't mean because of activism. I mean, because of like people when I when I make a joke being like, uh, actually, a teaspoon isn't a tablespoon yeah. or like whatever. <laughs> 
like, yeah, I know. It's a joke. That's the thing. I'm like, th- this is like, you're going to get me to meltdown on the podcast. This is going to be the first like <laughs> meta meltdown. But like, I, I'm absolutely not a like, uh, like, I'm just telling it like it is person. No. Like, you know, my comedy, but like when I tweet, like I I'll tweet something like truly last year, there was a point like my most viral tweet of all time. I tweeted uh, t- the abbreviations for teaspoon and tablespoon are too similar and nobody's talking about it. And people yelled at me online for a week, just from like every angle. Like, actually, they're not that similar if you ever bother to cook. Like, and then there were like, I got dozens of women going like, of course, a man doesn't know the what? truly true. And I was like, I didn't consider that, but I don't think I'm being sexist to say lowercase TSP is very similar to capital T lowercase BSP. <laughs> I, I often wonder, cause I, you know, I have, a, I have friends and family and I, when I feel shitty mm-hmm. or mad or sad, my first go-to is people. Mm-hmm. And if if what I'm about to say is true, it really breaks my heart. I'm like, do, do these people not have people in their lives right. that they can talk to? And if that's the case, if there's that many lonely people in the world, then that's a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. But if these people are sitting down next to their beautiful family. <laughs> yeah, and just like, oh, you idiot. Why aren't you measuring your ingredients with the metric system? And it's like, well, I live in the United States and my recipes are in the imperial measurement. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't cook well. I don't bake enough that you think I'm sexist. And I'm sorry that uh, that I I don't have access to like standard metric uh, measuring spoon. So controversial. Well, we are in the age of Aquarius in 2021, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be feminine energy. So, I, yeah. Hopefully, no. it's not bitchy feminine energy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can didn't even that. blame them. It was just like, I'm not like, oh, women. But I was like, I hadn't considered this. And, and like, when I sit down to think about it, it's like, I don't think I was wrong. No. And to say that, and I don't think I was being sexist but it's just like weird when you get the same message like be like everyone yelling like the same four like literal hundreds of people just like yell tweeting the same four things at you for like a week well then you have to wonder how many people aren't dealing with trauma because is there something about teaspoons and tables like i mean i'm not even i'm not even kidding like are these people ones that you know when they were a kid their father called them stupid for not I don't know. I I think there's also just this little level of people when someone is like, you don't see them in three dimensions. Oh, yeah. You don't often even see their faces. It's just words. You can't hear their tone. They can't hear your tone. I think there's like an impulse to or there you kind of like let the impulse to like lead with empathy slide a little bit. Oh, yeah. And and you just lead with like your gut response, which Mm -hmm. is like in fairness the abbreviations for teaspoon and tablespoon are not like and for dyslexic people i think some people were like actually i'm dyslexic and they are really hard to parse for me um but like i'm not a dyslexic dyslexic person i i don't have dyslexia i should as an adult be able to tell the difference so i understand if people are being like if they thought i was being serious um 
them being like, well, one has a capital T and one has a lowercase T. I can understand why they think it would be being helpful. But I was so clearly joking by adding, and nobody's talking about it. That it's just like, why do you have to say anything? Well, here's the thing. And for anyone listening, I, I promise we're going to move on to other topics. Although yeah. we could also talk about this for an hour. I'm, I'm sure really, could, but but as somebody who spent uh, many months during the pandemic, literally barefoot and in the kitchen and pregnant, because mm-hmm. I was pregnant and couldn't leave my house, so I was in the kitchen a lot and mm-hmm. not going to wear shoes at home. Yeah, I still get tablespoon and teaspoon confused sometimes. I didn't even, when you just said capital T and little t, can I be honest? And maybe this is, makes me a moron. I didn't even put the two things together. Hey, it's, they're, they're very similar. And if you don't measure small quantities of ingredients often, you know, like if you cook from like feel, like if you're a person who like learn how to cook by like watching a parent or a grandparent cook, um, or, or kind of figured it out on your own without, um, formal instruction i think you it's it's sometimes you lose like if you it's one of those things where like if you don't see both it's easier to confuse which one it might be you know what i mean like do you ever you ever have two friends that look kind of similar and when you see them together you're like oh they don't look that much alike when oh yeah you see one of them you're like oh do you you've got you know you've got that long floppy hair you've got uh always wearing uh button down plaid shirts like <laughs> I don't know if you're Kurt Cobain or Chris Novoselic. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, also these are bakers that were mad at you because mm-hmm. I don't really bake. Yeah. Because I don't like to follow instructions. Mm-hmm. As an Italian woman, mm-hmm. I just pour olive oil and salt and garlic on everything. Sure. God forbid I ever used a spoon. Except, <laughs> except you only use one, a spoon if you're spoon. Italian to beat a child. That's the only time <laughs> right. you use a wooden spoon. Sure. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, <laughs> And you don't that, that you don't write that down. No, you don't write down five beatings, please. I I would never beat a child. Five teaspoons <laughs> of beating my child. Of beatings. What if that was in my? What if I find my mom's recipe book one day and it's mm-hmm. like a five a beating? <laughs> now you're going to use five scoops from the beating spoon. <laughs> oh, this took a turn. Well, this feels like a good segue into Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Well. So I know, you know, the, the show is about, you know, cutting bangs per se, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in the in the metaphorical sense, the, the breakdown sense. Um, and as somebody with such luscious hair as yourself. I- <laughs> yeah, I didn't relate. I had to Google what bangs are. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a great beard, though. Great um, beard. Beard, but I know beard is I, chin bangs <laughs> to relate. It is chin ba- Wait, you're so right. Because I know so many guys that grow beards when they're going through something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, Josh. Ben Affleck. <laughs> He's always going through something. I know. I just wrote about him this week. That's what I've been thinking about him a lot. Really? Yeah. I wrote a little piece, um, a freelance piece for The Ringer about his Duncan-based image rehabilitation i saw that i felt so i feel such tenderness towards him when he's just like like dropping the coffees on the ground it just feels like i i think i'm probably being manipulated by these images but it like really gets me like i think i'm the number one person who feels more sympathetic towards ben affleck after seeing him drop duncan ice coffees on the ground well he did he just go through a breakup? No, I, I think he's with someone. I think he's dating um, Ana de Armas from um, 
uh, Knives Out. Oh, yeah. Oh, he just went to rehab, right? I think I think he is recently has recently gone to rehab and is, is currently sober. <sighs> Why? Just leave him alone. I know. I know. He just wanted coffee. I feel guilty for having seen the images. I feel dumb for having been emotionally manipulated by them. Yet I cannot unsee them. And I cannot unfeel those pangs in my heart for Ben When you grow up in Boston, Massachusetts, as I did as well, and I don't like Duncan. Wow. Okay. Like, with a passion. Mm -hmm. I think it's brown water. That's what I like about it. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I only drink the iced coffee. That's part of it. I only drink yeah. iced coffee ever. And I like that you that it's not super strong. Because, like, I'll go – I live in Brooklyn, and within two – like, literally two blocks of my apartment are, like, four places to get legitimate, like, fancy cold brew. But I drink – if you drink 16 ounces of that, I'm just like, oh, I can I can see two minutes into the future, like yeah. in the movie Next. And, and so I like a giant vat of iced coffee that I can drink for like an hour and a half, two hours and, and, and keep pretty level like a, like, um, like a maintenance dose. Well, as uh, I'm lactose intolerant, it's been really hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So I actually don't mind Duncan's iced coffee, but I Mm -hmm. need it with milk, but they Uh, just started carrying Almond, almond milk, milk I, think. I think. Yeah. So now, uh, if I were going to my Cape house, because that's all that's near the Cape, yeah, I would have been able to enjoy it. But mm-hmm. who knows when I'm going to leave a one mile radius of my home? I I've been thinking about it. I haven't left New York City since the end of July. Haven't left Brooklyn since the middle of August, and haven't haven't been more than th- I think three and a half miles from my apartment since. Um, like August 1st. I haven't left Los Angeles since December 2019. Whoa. Oh, January. January 2020. January 2020. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, saw, I I last saw my parents. I, I imagine it's hard with your parents being on the opposite coast too, but I haven't seen my folks since Christmas 2019. And it's a yeah. Bummer. It's a um, bummer. But anyway, we were transitioning into the next oh, yeah. thing. And then I just started talking about Ben Affleck. <laughs> no, like I, I mean, do all the time. But Ben Affleck is a great segue because he has had some very public breakups that sure. have resulted in some drama. Star- staring at the sea. Staring at the sea. Oh, wait, what's that? One that one picture of him in the <laughs> in the, the towel. The funny thing is, is you looked so deeply. So for people listening, we're recording this remotely because we're across country from each other. And Josh looked very deeply into the camera when he said that. And staring I thought, I was like, oh, are you looking at a screensaver of I'm all your Ben Affleck of, of the sea? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, of just all my Ben Affleck pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the one person on earth who still uses this, like a old school screen screensaver. Yep. It's just all Ben. But yeah, uh, but yeah I, know, I know you have a, a, a breakdown that happened as a result of a breakup. Yeah. So... When you said, I was thinking about times where I felt like the most emotionally flustered. And I don't think this is quite that. Like, it's not my, it's not the breakup where I felt like the most emotionally adrift. Um, but it was my, the cutting my bangs breakup of my life. Like, the, I love it. My bangs breakup. Like the one where I was like, I gotta make some changes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't want to, you know, this person, I don't want to like, drag her personal details through the mud, but I was dating a very lovely person with whom I was not super long-term compatible. It turned out like I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I feel like I could date 
most people for several months. <laughs> uh, like, not now. I'm I'm married and I love my life. We've been <laughs> together for almost seven years at this point. I mean, I wish it was. I wish you came on the podcast to announce that you were going to start swinging. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where I could, I could, I mean, like, I'm just telling you, I have my wife's permission to date anyone for yes. several months. Okay. Call in. Call in. No, oh. but I mean, like, at other points in my life, I feel like for six months, I could date almost anyone because i'd be like well if they're screaming at me i'm probably doing something wrong i'll fix it and then after six months i'd be like eh. but this was a, she's a very lovely person we were together for a little over a year and a half almost two years and we took a, a vacation together that was like pretty stressful the first half was like with her family and uh and who were very, very nice but like just it was like a kind of stressful situation staying with her family out of town and then the second half we went to la and hung out with like a bunch of comedian friends and i think that stressed her out so like mm. we switched halves of this vacation stressing each other out and then we broke up on the last night of this trip while we were <gasps> still you, away did you have to fly home together we had to fly home together oh not direct <laughs> oh no so we had a layover <sighs> In Atlanta, on the way from Los Angeles to Boston. And uh, we sat, I think we had the option to not sit together. And if my memory is correct, I think we chose to sit together because it would have been weirder to not. Who initiated the breakup? I initiated the breakup. And how did she take it? I think she was a little taken aback. And I think part of that is we... I I don't want again don't want to put words in her mouth. I think her relationship paradigm it felt to me was more like look, we have this thing that was stressful for us. Uh these things come up, we work through them. That's like what being in an adult relationship is. And and I think that in some respects she's right, right? Like I think if you every time you disagree with someone you're in a relationship with if you're like, well, bye-bye forever, um that's like not a way to to be in a that's not a way to structure a life where you want long-term relationships like certainly if what you want is companionship that is kind of easy breezy and you don't want to like dedicate yourself to someone else's needs then you can just bounce whenever they like mm-hmm. the first time they're like hey um i don't like the way your brother talks to me and you're just like peace <laughs> right yeah that means but, you probably didn't want to be in it right to begin with exactly but like i think to me i was like I had felt like the kind of these kind of stresses were um, were more long term stuff. It, like it didn't feel like oh this thing cropped up and I couldn't handle it. it. Felt like this was a thing that's happened a few times and like I I just did. I think our lives were very incompatible. It, it was it was coming to a point where I wanted to do. I was doing like I was the worst. There was like a period where I was the worst in that I I'm like a very polite person and a pleasant person but i i'm very like work focused which is a problem sometimes and it was much worse in previous relationships and in previous uh periods of my career where like i imagine looking back at her point of view where when you, you know when you're dating someone I, and this is this is not just unique to this this woman i dated but like when you're dating someone and they're like, Hey, maybe we can make dinner tonight. And you're like, nah, I've got to go do a couple open mics that mm-hmm. will leave me hating myself. Uh, and she is like, rightfully like, 
why? And I'm like, I don't know, but I gotta. And so I was in like this period of having like small incremental movement forward in my comedy career, but I was still teaching preschool full time. And I feel like, so I was in that respect, kind of a deadbeat boyfriend in in that, like I was not successful enough at comedy to justify the toll it was taking on our relationship. Oh yeah. But I think ultimately, um, I like chose, not that I chose my career over her, but like, I think for me to have the career I wanted and for her to have the the career she wanted for me to have the personal life I wanted and for her to have the family and personal life she wanted. It just, we had reached a crossroads of like, I think this argument is going to keep happening. Yeah. Or these. And that's, yeah. And that's as somebody who has stayed in relationships very much past their expiration date. Mm -hmm. I, in retrospect, admire what you're saying and wish I had done that. Thank you. So you're not, you're not a jerk for knowing what you want. I don't feel, I don't feel like a jerk for knowing okay. what I want. I do feel like it probably, these qualities probably were the, as to the extent that I was hard to date. I think that quality made me a little harder to date. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was prioritizing, like I had a full-time job, but I was also prioritizing this other career that had not borne substantial fruit at the time. It was a hobby. It was, it was a hobby. To her, in her mind, yeah. In her, in, and even if she didn't, even like to give the most generous interpretation, even if she was like, well, this is maybe something that that is important to him and like something that he considers like uh, his passion or work or whatever, it's still, the logistics of it were still unpleasant. They're still tough, right? And I, I've dated, it's, again, not to put this on one person, I've dated plenty of people who are like, you're going to do this comedy thing in instead of hanging out with me. Okay, that is not, uh, that doesn't feel good to me. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially when it's like low stakes stuff. And I'm just like, well, I, ha- I have to keep doing this. It's like slightly compulsive, slightly like a specific attempts to reach specific goals. But like, I just didn't, I hadn't done enough in my mind to justify like taking my foot off the gas comedy wise. And it, I mean, it paid off. I I hope so. I, I mean, I, I think in terms of career for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I am in a marriage now that I is great and I'm so much more centered and so much more balanced. Um, so we broke up on, on the last night of this trip, we were staying with a friend in LA and I, I initiated the breakup and, um, I just like, it was in the middle. We were having like kind of a, um, you know, an, an emotionally charged discussion about like that, that these different things were, um, creating stress for, for each other. And like over the course of this trip and like these kind of different forces acting upon it. Um, and, I was just like, I think she's not going to listen to this, but I think there, I think it got to the point where she was like, I don't know. Sometimes I think you'd be happier if we just broke up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think I agree. And it was, it wasn't the first time that she had broached that, but it was the first time that I was like, yes, that's true. I think we should break up. So like she, I think was looking for maybe reassurance or maybe subconsciously she was, she was help trying to like grease the wheels for this conversation. Yeah. Um, 
but it was tough and and we broke up and then we flew home together and then this is i think jim twos who's a very funny comedian has a joke with a similar thrust but this is an actual true story from my life we flew home on july 4th from los angeles to boston where i where i was living at the time and, and where i grew up in you know in the suburbs and as we got in separate cabs because we didn't we didn't live together so we got in separate cabs to go to our separate homes and as she got in the first cab she went happy independence day from me i guess <laughs> which is so funny because <laughs> you're also is wait, was she making a joke about it being independent because yeah, it was july 4th oh no but about you also being single being breaking up yeah yeah okay broken. yeah it was like truly i've never had someone have such a perfect exit line yeah. from and, and like we've we've emailed since then i think like my aunt ran into her one time a couple of years ago and it's not like i i have like absolutely no bad blood uh, no ill will towards her i like am so happy like whenever we catch up and she's like oh, i'm doing this professionally and my family's like this i'm like so psyched to hear about it um and uh and so, and I hope that that's how she feels about me. And I hope that the way I'm speaking about her is not like dragging her name through the mud or you said nothing bad. <laughs> great. Or, you know, just airing her business publicly. This you're was so you're okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so, it, so it was, but we haven't seen each other and we, you know, our emails are pretty sporadic. Like every couple of years we'll touch base. And this is like literally 10 and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, but that what a great exit line from someone's life. Oh, like, yeah. Unbelievable. Just like, so like, if, if I wrote that in a script, someone would be like, no, you right. can't. Nobody would, nobody would be that in the moment and on the nose and perfect about it. So, which I, I think about it all the time. It's just like a perfect thing to say. Wait, I feel like you'll appreciate this. Yes. Uh, I dated someone who, gosh, I have dragged them through the mud, but who, was a character and very dishonest. Mm-hmm. I think you might have met. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, and I wrote only maybe a quarter of the, like one third of his personality into a script. Mm-hmm. And every single person, and I, I was very verbatim about a couple stories. Yeah. And every single person that read it was like, I love the script. However, this character seems Whoa. really <laughs> unbelievable. And this was just like literally. This is what this guy was. It was like. the only like quote. Like I used quotes. So funny. Yeah, that's so funny. So we, so we had the breakup was like um, hard, like emotionally very hard. We had, we had, we, you know, we were like enmeshed. Our lives were enmeshed. We did stuff with each other's friends. We spent a lot of time together. We stayed at each other's apartments frequently. Um, you know, like it was like a relationship relationship and it ended and um, it was the summer, obviously, as I said, and I was teaching preschool and I think I had, it, my program was year round. So like we didn't get summers off. It wasn't like, like an elementary school where there's just like it, there's school and then it's off for a couple months. This was like, there was daycare all summer, but I think I had taken most of the summer off because since the enrollment dipped when kids went to camp, there weren't enough hours for everyone to go around. So like, I was just like, well, I'm tutoring and I'm doing comedy, you know, like making a little bit of money in comedy so I can like afford to like have a part-time job for the summer instead of a full-time job. And my boss let me do it. So I was like, okay, I really want to make a run at like 
trying to have a, a, a different career than like the one that's currently paying my bills. Um, and I, I thought I had kind of, this is like 2010 and I thought I had kind of reached the, the ceiling on what I was going to accomplish long-term by continuing to stay and to live and work in Boston and around new England as a um, comedian. And oh, also I had just, had like a very positive experience at a comedy festival where I was then able to like be on the road a little bit more. So yes, I was, I took the summer off and, and I had a college agent. So I was like making a little money in comedy for the first time where I was like, this is a bigger step forward than I've ever had before. And my, I, it's starting to feel like promising that I could maybe make a living at this down the line. So I think I, at first, I was like, do I quit my job right now and uh, and just leave? Do I just go to New York or LA? And it, it didn't feel quite right um, to do. Like, I, I didn't have, like, a plan. There was no, like, reason. Excuse me. There, there was – I was running towards something, but, like, vaguely and unpreparedly. So I was like, okay, I'll stay one more year at this job and then I'll move. And then a m- month or two later, I started dating someone who I'd already been friends with, but who lived in New York. So I was visiting her a lot. And so like New York became the obvious choice. But so the, so the cut my bangs thing, I was like, I, I kind of like talked about the emotional turmoil I was feeling already, which was the, the tension between, I guess I didn't say it explicitly. Do I, part of it became, do I stay in this this relationship with this very wonderful person who I like a lot and we have similar values. And I like, she was um, like, I thought her professional work was so cool and I liked her friends. And it was just like, is, do I stay in this relationship and, and pursue this other kind of career stuff within the parameters that allows, do I like, you know, t- do weekends out of town uh, in, in when I can, um, but this was with she, the the one year girl. The pre, yeah, the previous the 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 girlfriend who I'd broken who I broke up with. Um, but so while we were together, I was thinking like, do we do that? Because I think she's very she was very rooted to New England, and so it 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 didn't really. So it felt like this comedy festival that had been in March, and then this is now July, and I had been traveling like significantly more than ever before for comedy. That had put an additional strain. So it was like this period of kind of like open mics and me being like, this is a real uh, time where I just have to like work really hard because I'm not where I want to be yet. And then that period kind of concluded and it didn't get better. That was the problem. Right. Also, because like for the first year and a half of our relationship, it was like that kind of striving and struggling. And then the, the next four months were like a little more success, but a similar unavailability and like time commitment. And so I think that thinking back that made it really hard. And that really kind of like put the relationship in a a crucible, right. Of like, okay, this is, I guess this is what I'm like. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was like, Oh, you know, I thought it was going to get better. I thought it was going to get better. I'm not putting words in her mouth. I thought I was going to do a better job when kind of things leveled up a little bit, but then I was like, Oh, now I'm like traveling, you know, I'm doing like four weekends. I'm doing out of town now for feature money, you know, like for opening act money essentially. And so like, 
driving to string stuff together, uh, flying at weird hours because the flights were cheaper. Um, and and so I think it really kind of like when when things changed and also stayed the same, I think it was very difficult. And so my headspace was like, I really, I feel like these things that I've like really wanted for for years. I, at this point, I guess I'd been doing stand-up as 20... 10 i've been doing stand-up for like six years and had ambitions to like write professionally but wasn't doing a great job of writing on my own because i didn't have any i didn't have many friends who were like writing professionally um the people that i met had like left boston um by then i think pretty much and so i was like okay to do the things i want to do i have to leave but to stay in this relationship i obviously have to stay um and so the I think the breakup was kind of the the point at which I was like, like I didn't feel free from the relationship. Like I wasn't like, oh, we we broke up. Happy Independence Day from you, yeah. which she said. But I definitely felt a, a strong feeling of like, like the the secondary realization was like, oh, I think that was the right thing to do for both of us because we had different wants and needs. And then, like you know, a couple of days later, I was like. I think I have to move. And and it was like, that was the cutting my bangs was like, I'm going to moved a couple days after independence. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I decided to move a couple days after. Okay. But I, I gave myself like the year to prepare, but I was like, I, I had been like, what do I do? Do I stay? Do I, do I go? Is comedy always going to be like a, a side hustle for me, like an uh, supplementary income and a creative outlet. And so we broke up in July and then I moved the following August. Mm-hmm. So it was a year, but I, but like, I decided very quickly that I was moving. Like after the breakup, I was like, I'm out. And then I started making plans. Like I started telling people I was going to move. I told my boss I was going to stay for one more year. Um, she was so nice. She was like, I, I stayed I'm in touch with like people I used to teach with, even though I haven't worked at that job in like almost 10 years. And my boss two a year and a half ago retired, um, and they called me and, and you know, the, uh, the vice, uh, the assistant director of the school called me and was like, do you want to come to Boston for a retirement party? So I like came up and like went to the party and saw everybody. So it was like, uh, she was so sweet. And she was like, <laughs> like, I was like, is she going to be mad if I say I only want to stay for one more year? If I'm like, I'm out next year, is she going to be like, well then walk out the door. I don't know why yeah. I thought that because like, then she would just have to like replace me sooner. <laughs> but she was like, I just want the best for you. And I want you to be happy. And I'm so glad you're going to stay for one more year. And that we have you in like the family for another year. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so do you feel like cuz it doesn't sound that impulsive cuz you had a plan or but was it un is it like unlike you to make such a quick decision? Yeah, it was. And it had been something I was I was agonizing about and 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 like And why were you agonizing so much about because just of the, the strain it was putting on on the relationship? Oh, I see. Okay. It was in such direct conflict. So like the breakup, like the decision to move wasn't the breaking point like the breaking point was was like ending the relationship in like the bottom bunk of a bunk bed at a friend's house oh my, were you really in a bunk bed i think we were i think my friend was house sitting and we were staying in the like in a twin bed just mushed together arguing <laughs> and uh and and that was like the 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 kind of breakdown moment but then the like 
at the post breakup, like big life decision was like, I like two days later, I was like, I'm leaving Boston. <laughs> like, yeah. By like July 6th, I was like, I have to leave. But I think it's impossible to go through, uh, like to get out of a long-term relationship and be the exact same person. For sure. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever one considers, even a short-term relationship, honestly, like every relationship, I think, like I never really look at relationships as failures. I always look no. at them as, uh, you know, often messengers that sort of lead you to the next thing. Um, question for you. So were you at all worried that you were never going to be a long-term relationship person? Like, was that oh, yeah. totally. a fear? Feared for years. And I, I was in, after that, was in other relationships where I, I feared very much that, like, I was unfit for that. Like, and did not, that cause you grief? Yes, a lot. Um, and it, Because I didn't like stressing out the people I was dating. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't, um, you know, it felt bad. And it wasn't like, I never thought that... I was like, like I didn't. I wanted to be a relationship person. It was. I. I didn't feel like I was forcing myself to like. Be, you know how some people are like, I don't like being in long term monogamous relationships. I prefer prefer to stay single or like am polyamorous. I am like a very monogamous person and a very long term relationship person. But there was also this period of like a few years where I was just like, I think I made myself harder to be in relationships with because of my like kind of like dirt bag insistence that I was going that like I was on this path and had to devote a lot of time and energy to it that, that made relationships really complicated and difficult. Isn't it funny that you associate being ambitious with being a dirt bag? But I feel like, I mean, there were like, my apartment was a mess. It was like the dirtbag phase of my life. Like I was, yeah. I, w- I made very little money for like several of those years. I mean, even when I was teaching full time, I didn't make a lot of money. But like my first couple of years in New York, I was not, I was like tutoring. And, and some weeks I would have a lot of tutoring clients. And then other times I was like tutoring like five hours a week. and was like, oh, I'm not making enough money for this to be sustainable. Um, so did have that to, make like, you want to quit? ever it made me there definitely was a period like i i um i when i i won that festival in 2010 and i think until that point i I, that was that was kind of the the switch where i was like i think i can probably do this if i if i try really hard and like rededicate myself redouble my it seems like a real positive breaking point that you had i think it was and i I, i hope that she feels that way too that it like that as painful as it was i hope that she remembers me as like a person that she likes and feels fondly towards and was not the right person to stay with long term that's like i i really hope that and i i think probably for the most part other than like a little eye rolling here and there i'm sure um but yeah i but i had so i won this festival and i remember it was in atlanta and i went back to atlanta to the at the same club and opened for gary gullman for a week like at the end of that summer and i was walking um to we were walking from the club to the hotel and i think the shows had gone really well this night um he, i mean he always does well he's like genius but yeah. like 
I did. I did well too <laughs> this night, and I was feeling really good. And I was just like, I'm working with this this comedian who I admire so much and have for so long. I feel like this is a like a big level up in my career, even though I, it's it's still like not quite sustainable financially. But it feels like in terms of the scope of my career, it's expanded a lot. And I said to him, then it was true. I said, you know, I'd really been thinking about like until that festival, I'd been thinking like, maybe I go back to grad school for education. And instead of teaching preschool, I like start to think about my career in education long-term and comedy is like parallel to that. But like, again, side job, um, something like I'm a, a weekend warrior, if, if that makes sense. And, um, and so like, I get like a, a doctorate and work in policy or work in administration. And, uh, I was like, I, I really was thinking about going to grad school as recently as like this spring. And Gary very like gently said to me like, no, no, no. Like this, this is that, like, this is your professional training essentially. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, it like made me feel so, it, it was like so affirmative to hear and like so helpful mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, good. Someone who I respect so much was like, yeah, this is, you're on, you're on a path. You're not like deluding yourself or struggling in vain or like throwing away relationships because you're immature and like, can't be with another person. You're doing your, you're an apprentice. You're doing an apprenticeship essentially. Did you ever have, cause I know a lot of people have struggled with this, but have you, you know, I think this, I think any creative career, well, actually maybe any career choice, to be honest, sometimes can be, um, you know, it becomes your identity, obviously. And if things aren't going the way you want them to, it becomes like a huge unraveling or blow to your, your identity and self-esteem. So did, did that happen? Like when you moved to New York for that first time and you were living the scumbag life, as you called it, like, did you have moments where you were like, I don't know. You got to know. And it- yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I had one really bad, like there are times where I felt really discouraged and, and stagnant and, and demoralized. I, I feel like I've been very fortunate the past several years in that, like the setbacks have been things that I wanted, but didn't need. And I've been steadily employed writing for TV and like getting to do lots of stand up around the city and, you know, around the country when I've, when I've been able to, to, have some time off from, from writing jobs and stuff. It's just been, I feel so lucky, but there was this period in, so I moved to New York in 2011 and in late 2013, I was, I booked a um, late night set on a, on a cable show and I was so excited. And then I got bumped like the week before it was like five days before it was supposed to tape. And then they were like, this, your set was too dark. Like the material is too dark. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, yeah. Uh, it doesn't fit the show. And then I was like, well, let's rebook. I can send you another tape. Like, and the producer had already seen and approved it. Um, and then just like someone higher up the chain had seen it and been like too dark. And then I was like, well, let's, let me pitch you other stuff. And they're like, actually, we're not really like looking to book more standups on the show. And so I was like, pretty devastated by that. I really felt like that was going to be the thing that was going to like, give me like a bump up, just like a boost of like, Oh, this is, I'm, I'm at this level now. Like I've done this and I can never not have done it. Uh, and then I, I had not done it still at that point. Uh, and then I 
was like, you know what? I'm going to use this as a, a motivation. I'm going to like get back in the, get back in the lab and just like, you know, write harder, sell a humor piece. Like I was like, I'm going to write this thing and sell it. I'm going to sell something to the New Yorker for the first time. That's like my goal. And I can, I can write something and I know I can write something that's okay. And like, maybe they'll want this. And I did. And they, I sold it to the New Yorker and and I was like, hell yeah. And then the day before it was supposed to run on the website, my editor emailed me and was like, actually, it's not going to run. It got killed over my head. And I was like, <gasps> come on. And <sighs> during this period, I saw um the movie inside lewin davis uh the coen brothers movie mm-hmm. which have you seen it no okay so the thrust of it is it's about oscar isaac plays this folk singer lewin davis who's like kind of a um bitter struggling folk singer in new york who's like my read on this and and this was like i was fully projecting myself onto the screen i was like yeah that's what i'm like probably what i look like <laughs> i'm very i look very much like oscar isaac um but this is like what my personality is like and my read on him was he was pretty talented but was insistent that he was destined for something bigger than he was capable of and his bitterness over his failure to like achieve the the notoriety and the career of his dreams was like dragging down everyone in his life and uh and that's like at that moment in my career and life that is how i felt and that and what did you feel like that was also because like you know the whole relationship thing Mm -hmm. did you feel like you were putting that on your relationships as well yeah for sure i felt like i was making myself hard to love romantically and I, I mean, I don't think my parents would ever say they love me less, but I was like a little bit like scattered in that period. So I was like a, a less devoted son than I would have liked. <laughs> um, but also I was, you know, I, I, I felt like I was hard to love romantically. I was not um, achieving the things I wanted to achieve. And I was like banging my head against the wall in this kind of like vain attempt to uh, to like achieve something that was beyond my ability. Yeah. And then how, so how did that, so how did you go from that to what it seems like right now, (laughs) which is super confident? Yeah. No, Uh, well, working a lot, very positive and married and in love because that's major. I mean, not only it would be one thing if you had gone from that to very successful and positive, but like you also got love. Yeah. So how did that work? So I started, so that was like December, let's say. And then in late February, I ended up, and I hate, I hate the moral of the story being like, I got the external validation and financial stability that I was looking for and then felt better about myself. But like that February, I got hired to work at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver doing their like web and digital writing. And a month and a half after I that, maybe even a little less, like a little more than a month after that, I met my now wife Maris and we started dating immediately. And I think like that transition from like this period of like struggle um, and uh, like kind of, you know, career struggle. I was, I was not out on the street. I was, you know, I, I was not like, um, like drinking myself to death. I was just like very unhappy 
professionally. For, and it wasn't even that long a period. It was like a few months where it felt like, okay, maybe something's going to go, oh, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe I have been deluding myself. Um, and so I, I met Maris. We started dating. I was like in a little bit of a more secure position where I was like, you know, I have this comedy job. I can take a night off of standup and, and I can be a person. And like, I probably should because I can't just work. I can't go to a job, you know, get up at eight, eight, eight thirty AM, go to a job all day, leave, go to shows, go to sleep. Like that can't be my whole life, especially when it's all comedy. So I felt like I was able to like, let, let my hands relax on that steering wheel a little bit, take my foot off the gas, as I said. And I also think that like Maris is the, our, our relationship styles are very similar and that she is like a very motivated, busy person as well. And, and, and is like very understanding of like, when I have stuff that I'm like, this is important to me to do. And she's like, great. And then when she's like, this is important to me to do, I'm like, great. And so it just felt like the, the way my life was and the way her life was and like what we wanted from each other, like interlocked very quickly in a way that was, was very natural. Um, and, and like, and she's obviously she's the best. I love her so much. Yeah. And, and I, but like, I think you can, love someone in a way where like it's just not sustainable as a relationship and i think our relationship is like very loving and very um like it's like a a glowing warmth in my life and also feels sustainable like it's not like we're we're not like laying the tracks 20 feet ahead of the train hoping that we don't go off the rails. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it feels like we're not like constantly putting band-aids over stuff like to use another hack metaphor. Well, it sounds like I don't want to put No, please. I don't want to and put words in your mouth, but you know, you said, "Oh, I hate to make it sound like but once I had, you know, self-esteem and stability mm-hmm. and confidence, everything was okay." And I don't know, I-, I could be wrong, but it sounds like it wasn't that it was more so ex- like the theme is almost like acceptance because you accepted that you got those rejections yeah and you sort of accepted that maybe these grand ideas or hopes that you had may or may not come true and then you found and then you got this job yeah and then you found someone who accepted you mm-hmm. in how you want to pursue your career so I- I think that that acceptance is really important. Um, like her acceptance of of me, and I think that's like really special and really wonderful. And I like never want to like downplay how like wonderful and supportive she is. I do think you are being very generous. Really, to me. you accepted this, and then things happened. I was like, you know, that December to. I guess I was on the road a lot, like January, February. And that was fun. I like doing comedy on the road. I I really love doing stand-up. And I feel I'm always very happy and grateful when I get to like perform professionally and like make money and travel and, and be in front of good audiences. And I, I'm always so happy for that. But I still kind of was like, okay, but like, is there something else? Like I was still really probing and kind of scraping. And then excuse me, when I got this job and I'd been, I'd spent so much of the past year applying to these late night 
writing jobs. And so I was pretty drained. And so when I got this job, um, which I like canceled my own, I was supposed to hang out with someone I was dating on my birthday, which is in January. And I canceled that to like finish writing the submission materials for this job and then got the job like right after we had broken up. Um, so it ju- it really felt like, oh, the issue is like, I it, not necessarily like partly self-esteem, but partly just the career validation too. Like, I don't think I was ever like, I suck. I'm like a worthless person, but I definitely in this period was like, I'm not as good as I think I am. And I'm hurting people because of it. I'm like treating people less generously and less attentively because of it. Well, maybe. And again, if I'm, I don't want to force any, no, no, no. like, I'm like, but I, I still hear acceptance in this because you accepted the fact that you couldn't do a relationship. Yes. And uh, certain career things, because you just said you got this job after a breakup. After another breakup. Yeah. And you got the courage to move to New York after a after breakup. A breakup. Sure. And then once you felt full acceptance of where your career was, yeah, then you found somebody to accept you in your career. Yes, I think I think that is. Uh, I I agree with that. I don't mean to be contrarian. Oh but my I god, think, not at all. I do think you're right in that. Like, I'm trying to analyze. I'm like, let me analyze. Of, I do think the acceptance was like I was like I don't think I'm doing a good job at being a comedian and a boyfriend. And that's great though. Like I, maybe I'm crazy to say this, but again, as somebody who stayed in relationships, when I wish I knew myself better, Mm -hmm. you save people grief by getting out of something when you can't give them what they want or give yourself what you want. Totally. You know, I will say though, this is an interesting thing. I've never said to anyone before. I don't, yeah, I'm much better friends across the board with people who have broken up with me than people I've broken up with. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What's that? I don't know. Huh. Is it, have they made the effort to stay friends? I think it's been like mutual and like, not always like totally smooth at first, Mm -hmm. but like, I've got like a few people that have broken up with me. It's not everybody, but like a few people who've broken up with me, I'm very close with still. And then something I'm, I'm, I like see occasionally, like um, someone who we dated and she broke up with me. Like she's moved around a lot for, for school and stuff. And she and her like husband have come to see me do stand up when I'm in town. And like, that's very nice. But like the, the couple of people that I have broken up with um, in my, it's not that many you know, two, three as an adult, uh, from like substantial relationships. Um, we have pretty varying degrees of like warm email, like warm sporadic email correspondence to like, not really much of a relationship. Um, and that is like pretty, uh, cut and dry, like that divide. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So maybe I'm just bad at breaking up or exceptionally tolerant of people breaking up with me. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this, because I do want to wrap it up a bit. Um, So, you know, you said that you you went through these periods where you were felt really, you know, kind of like 
negative about career and bitter, I guess I would say and whatnot. Sure. Like you, like you're known, like on Twitter, you give pep talks to people. Yeah. You are very positive. I, mm-hmm. I've known you a very long time and I okay. always remember us drive. We drove to a wedding together because we weren't allowed plus ones. Oh we yeah. Both just got, you just got together with Maris and I just yeah. got together with my now husband. Yeah. And so we went together and it was, it was a two hour drive maybe. Yeah. Out to Pennsylvania. And we talked shit the whole time and i was like josh josh talks and also i mean i'm not a big shit talker either like i never feel good after but it does feel good sometimes it's like junk food you know i I like a good i think it like helps uh, in a safe space because like i'm i'm not like i'm like you're saying i think like you're alluding to i'm not an overall bitter person and even at my lowest like emotionally like that's when i started doing the pep talks when i was like at my kind of career lowest because i was like you know i i would like someone to encourage me but like i don't need everyone to encourage me and maybe i can give something to someone else and that'll feel good so i started doing the twitter pep talks during this kind of like december 2013 period where like just everything felt unattainable career-wise the pep talks during that period Wait, that's huge to this conversation, to my mind. Well, because to me, when, okay, for me personally, and I'm probably a little different now because I'm on medication and I, you know, all the good stuff. But in the past, when I've had my lowest points, I couldn't even dream of giving a pep talk to someone, let alone strangers on the internet. So I'm so curious as to how your brain worked in that way. So this is exactly what happened. I was supposed to do a gig in New Haven. And that morning, the promoter emailed me and was like, we don't have a lot of tickets sold because the venue didn't put it on their website. But also I drove by the venue this morning and it was chained and locked shut. So we have to cancel the gig. And I remember being like, if I can't even fucking do this, whatever, $200, $400 headline gig in New Haven at this independent show. Like if even that is falling through, like what am I doing professionally? So I went, I went home. I was, I think I'd been at my girlfriend's house and I went home and then that night I was like, I feel I kind of what I like the longer version of what I had said a minute ago is like, I felt low. I felt really low. I was like, this stinks. I'm sure I'll get through it. Like, emotionally I will get through this night of not getting to drive an hour and a half to like bomb in front of this Connecticut bar patrons. And were you but, with the uh, girlfriend, the one you broke up with on the, in LA? The second, the other breakup. The okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I feel bad, but I, and, and I was just like on Twitter, like messing around. And I was like, I don't, I know if I had been like, I feel bad. Will someone say something nice to me? Like, I felt too needy to mm. do unprompted. And I um and I had a number of followers, and it was like a period on the internet where, like, as a man, <laughs> I could say something like a little vulnerable, and like most of the responses would probably have been fine. Like I probably had like a few thousand followers, mostly like friends and a few fans, and like very few just like random people. Mm-hmm. And so this this I think is a nice bookend to like me complaining about not being able to joke about teaspoons and tablespoons. But I said, um, <laughs> I remember being like, I feel like 
this will pass this like sensation will pass even if the career stuff doesn't turn around and so i i wonder if instead of asking someone to tell me the thing i already know if i can like offer to do something nice for other people because i do have this this will pass feeling in my head and so i said i tweeted like hey um if anybody needs to hear a kind word I'll, I'm around for five minutes. Let me know. And I'll do, I'll give you a pep talk. And I think it was like a dozen or two dozen or something this first time. And, and it felt nice. It felt nice to like remind myself by telling other people these things that like, these are truths, right? Like even with strangers, I could go like the thing that you're dealing with now doesn't always have to feel as bad as it feels in this moment. Mm, and then I, like, I love thinking through that to tell to someone else, I would be like, that's true for me, I'm sure. So like, that's when it started. That's acceptance. It's acceptance. You, there I mean, it is. like you, you're, I'm telling as, as a listener, mm-hmm. your, your theme sounds, because I, I hate to say, po- I don't know. I have issues sometimes with the notion of positivity Be, and I don't know if you feel this way. And I, I almost apologize for calling you positive because it's like, yeah, but everyone, you in order to be positive you you are negative sometimes you know what i mean like for every there has to be an opposite feeling so that you can feel the other one you know you feel pain and then you feel love or whatever and i think especially with the internet again to book it end it again yeah there's the dark side and then there's also this whole other world of do you know like the term toxic positivity Sure. Of like someone being like, my family is dead and someone being like, but look on the bright side. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I, I need to look on the dark side right. before I get to the bright side. And, and I, so that's why I think like acceptance more than positivity. Like I think especially with career stuff, yeah, I have not, I think I'm a very positive person yeah. in, in a lot of ways, but I definitely think I had to this acceptance is really important. And I don't think it's like just positivity that has gotten me through times where I felt bad, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I I think like being positive is feeling positively about things. And partly, partly that's just my nature. It has certainly been helpful when things have not gone my way. And it's helpful when things are going your way because things can go great and you can still be like a grumpy asshole about it. Right. Yeah. So I think like positivity is is something to think about even when things are going well, like to be like, like gratitude and, um, and like perspective are really important. Um, and so, yeah, I think that like, there is a level of acceptance, but we, we start talking about the, oh, bitterness. Oh. And so like uh, talking shit, that's where I want to come back to. Yeah. So I think there is like a level of, of like shit talk that is, healthy to express. Like, I think, you know, sometimes you see someone thriving who is not like, who whose art does not speak to you mm-hmm. or who as a person you've had like conflict with and you're just like this fucking guy. And I think like, you don't have to like want them to fail or under want to undermine them, but it's so helpful to, and, and you don't even have to like express it publicly. I think like, I oh, don't do mean not it express way, like, it publicly talking about behind someone's back. Like, I don't mean like undermining people talking, speaking ill of your friends, but like, I do think it is healthy to have an outlet to be like, I look, I know this has no bearing on my career and whether I'm thriving or not, but like seeing this person, uh, 
this person who has like been mean to me book this work or seeing this person whose art I just like don't understand book this work is like confusing and frustrating to me. And I think having a space to express that with people that you like that know that you're not like i hate them i don't think they should make a living i you know like that kind of stuff i i think like there is a level of shit talk where you go i accept that their that their success is not a referendum on my ability or my potential or, or who i am however I just need to grouse for a second. This special that everyone that was reviewed so highly, I it it just di- I didn't like it. I I thought it was not as innovative as people. You know, this is that's nothing specific. I'm just saying like that's the kind of thing that like feels good to be able to like complain about in a safe space for them. Well, and it it totally comes back to the beginning because you said don't do it publicly. Yeah, and what blows my mind is when I see fellow. And again, maybe this is true. I don't want to alienate anyone who's not in the arts, but when I see other comedians or writers or actors shit talking, I don't mean like calling out someone's right. Like this is like a bad behavior that that, like they should stop because it's endangering people. Just being like this, this show sucks. This this person and like I'm like again, do you not have a friend? Yeah, this a, is for the group chat. Yeah, a, gr- a group text, a a partner, a, a Maris, uh, that will accept the fact that you're not an asshole and know that you just need to vent. Because, right. like, I know for me with the shit talking, it also goes back to what I said earlier, which, again, sounded very morbid, where I'm like, I don't know if I belong on this planet. Because sometimes mm-hmm. I'll see a piece of art, art, air quotes, sure, or a thing, and I'm like, I don't know. I, Am I stupid that I don't get the joke or why it's so good? And then, you know, I, I get frustrated by it and I feel all these feelings. But then, you know, I, I eventually accept that, well, this person finished the script. Right. And this person right. pushed really hard. And this person is really good at Insta stories. I don't know. Whatever it is that they're doing. And I have to stop and be like, well, I don't know that I want to do X, Y, and Z. And why am I so mad? And a lot of times, and not always, sometimes I shit talk because I blatantly am like, this is gross and they're gross. <laughs> but, it feels, it's like scratching an itch, right? Where yeah. there's like a point where you do it where you're like, oh, that's very satisfying. And then you keep going and you're like, now I'm bleeding. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it feels good because you don't feel so crazy. If like, if you, somebody who I don't talk to you every day, when I do talk to you, it's fantastic for me to be like, hey, can I ask you about this person? And you're like, oh my God, I have felt like a crazy person because I'm like, everyone likes them but me. What's wrong with me? It just feels, it makes me feel less crazy. And then I usually move on. And sometimes what ends up happening is I also then learn something about myself where I'm like, well, that was a sign that I need to finish my script. Yeah. That was a sign that I need to X, Y, and Z. Here's, I'm going to give you an example of one that is like outside our field that made me feel very good. I, did you watch The Queen's Gambit? Not yet. Okay. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was like really atmospheric. And I, after the the pilot episode, I enjoyed watching it very much. Um, I thought it was like really good at, at so many things, but a lot of people were saying it was like a masterpiece. And I just like, it just like, it didn't 
resonate with me in that way. Like it didn't, I, and, and like, there are certain things that people said where it was like, maybe just like as a man, it doesn't speak to me as much as it speaks to women who are, who are watching it and like have an easier time being like, I see something here that is real and, and that like, that I might not recognize as like a real phenomenon or a real feeling or something like that. So like, you know, it, um, it, and, and there were just like a couple things where I was like, I would quibble with this writing a little bit, but like, I think generally my impulse where I was like, why would I like go on Twitter or go on Facebook and be like, everybody thinks this is good. And I'm <laughs> mad and like make it. And like, obviously I'm doing it a little bit here, but I, I can do it in a way that's like nuanced and it's just you and me. And it's not like a whole, like, Hey everybody, this stinks. It was like, I think it was like for sure worth watching and like good and like beautifully made. But like, I don't, I didn't, I was able to like talk to a couple of friends who were like, yeah, it also didn't speak to me in the way, like the kind of zeitgeist of it is like, whoa, check it out. And, uh, and it just like felt so stabilizing to be like, I'm not uniquely incapable of enjoying this art. Well, gosh, we're really good at full circle. Cause this is how I think we'll end is, um, I felt really good when I met people who didn't like Dunkin' Donuts. It was really hard. It was really growing up in Boston. I would be like this. People be like, hey, you want to go to Dunkin'? And I'd be like, I I would rather like eat a a pile of dogs. I mean, not that's not true, but I would be I would be so insulted that they asked me. But I'm not going to go. But here's the thing. Dunkin' Donuts wants to sponsor this podcast. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts wants to give me some iced coffee with almond milk because now I can drink it. I'm down. I've eaten a pretty good breakfast sandwich from Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. when I had to, you know, I don't hate it, but it's not yeah. my first choice. The just an unsolicited, unsponsored recommendation, the beyond, uh, the beyond meat sausage patty sandwich, which does have cheese on it. So it might not be perfect for you. Can I get I it think, no cheese? I think you get no cheese. It's like an, it's like a sausage, egg and cheese, but with like, um, you know, fake meat or whatever uh-huh. with the beyond meat really like surprisingly very good. That's how the, the, the vegan or, or vegetarian Whopper mm-hmm. is very good. Um, I end every show asking my guest, uh, do you, do you think I should get bangs? I really like the way your hair looks. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I, I generally like bangs and don't think that it's like, as uh, I, like, I know there's kind of like the, the idea of it being like a very, I, cause I guess it's hard to undo. I don't know from bangs. You've seen my forehead, but <laughs> I think if you feel inclined, great. But I think your hair looks great. Just the way it is. Thank you. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Josh Goneman. Thank you. Oh, do you want to share anything? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I have a, a podcast called make my day. It's a, um, comedy game show where there's like one guest or a team of guests every week. And so they're guaranteed to win. Um, Fun. and it comes out every Tuesday. Yeah. And I then Jesus that. and Marrow is back soon, January 31st. We're premiering. So if this is after then Thursdays and Sundays. And if this is before then upcoming Thursdays and Sundays, one of the best shows in the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye. I thought a great way to end this episode would be to talk about the best way to give yourself a pep talk. Obviously, the next time Josh is giving pep talks on Twitter, I definitely recommend trying to get one. But um, if you want to be able to give yourself a better pep talk, I read this great article on Psychology Today that it has been scientifically proven that speaking to yourself in the third person is the most uh, effective way to see results. So to positively 
talk to yourself in the third person. Um, it apparently boosts confidence. It makes you more successful. That noise you just heard was my baby who is sitting on my lap. Who, who maybe she's – what's that? I think she's giving herself a pep talk in baby language. Um, <laughs> I've tried to record the ending to this podcast episode so many times, but it's been hard to do with a baby in my lap. Um, wow. I think she's saying – host the show? I mean, everything you're saying is making so much sense. Okay. Third person. You know what? I'm just going to link to the article. Talk to yourself in the third person. It's the best way to see results. And uh, in speaking of the third person, please, uh, Julia would love it if you left this podcast a nice pep talk in the comment section of iTunes. Uh, Rate and review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you so much to my daughter, who I guess is the special guest expert. I mean, honestly, babies have the most confidence. So we should, we can learn a lot from babies. That's maybe that's the lesson here. Oh, now you're quiet. Now that I'm done. Cool. (laughs) All right. Please come back next week. Bye.